Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages live down the This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. We are streaming live on the internet from London. This show is dedicated to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. On tonight's show, we will have the final part of our four-part series called The Signs of the Times. We will be studying what the Bible teaches about current events. Our guest speaker is based in Maryland in the United States of America. More about our guest after we have had some music. Divine. 
Signs of the Times. We will have the final part of our four-part series discussing current events tonight with Elder Ray DiCardo of Emmanuel Missionary Institute. EMI was established in 1992 by Elder Ray and his wife, Sister Judy DiCardo. They have an educational ministry dedicated to the proclamation of the everlasting gospel of Revelation 14, chapters 14 verses 6 to 12. For the past 30 years, EMI has been involved in teaching, evangelism, and literature distribution throughout the world. Let's now call Elder DiCarlo and see if he is available. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Elder Carlo. you are live on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. How are you and Sister Judy this evening, Elder DiCarlo? Uh, we're fine. Thank you very much, John. Yourself? Yes, I'm fine by the grace of God. Yes, praise the Lord. Yes, well, Elder DiCarlo, tonight we begin the final part of our four-part series, looking at the signs of the times that we are living in. We are using Matthew chapter 24 as a basis for this series. During last week's radio broadcast, we looked at Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 to 10, where Jesus mentions that nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. As we study the scriptures and historical and present events, we discussed that the church is primarily to blame for the spread of evil in this world. The church and individuals within the church have not faithfully fulfilled their duty to be a force for good and counteract the wickedness of men. We also discussed how the nature of war has changed, where it not only includes countries fighting one another, but also a clash of ideologies and concepts and ideas. Mm. Listeners, we pray that these radio broadcasts will not only be a means of clarifying certain issues, 
that may be at the back of your mind, wondering why they are happening, who is behind them, and when they are going to end. But we sincerely pray that these radio broadcasts will strengthen your faith in God's word as the only reliable source of news and strength, and that they will help you to prepare to meet Jesus at his second coming in peace. We will be looking this week at how Jesus' prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem was exactly fulfilled in AD 70, and how it is a type or symbol of what is to happen to the whole world before his second coming. So, Elder DiCarlo, let us pray to open our discussion this evening. Our Father in heaven, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the opportunity once again to really take the time to meditate and think about the importance of these scriptures that were given so long ago that are so relevant for today. I pray that you'll help John and I to speak uh, these things in a very simple way. And yet, dear God, I pray we shall challenge others to hunger and thirst after this knowledge. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll please pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Send your angels to go before us. And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you'll come and take our hearts because we cannot give them to you. And so we thank you for that. We count it a privilege and a blessing. And so now, once again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our listeners, once more, as we start our study this week, let us remind ourselves where we first find this subject, the signs of the times in the Bible. We read in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, and verses 1 to 3. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting, desired, desired him, as Jesus, that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, Jesus, and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the signs of the times? And so we see, and so we see from the Bible that the signs of the times is a subject that comes from Jesus himself. It is a subject of heavenly origin. Now let us read in the book of Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 22. It's Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 22. The Bible reads, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as, what, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, 
no, nor ever shall be. And except those days shall be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. I'd like to also read Luke chapter 21, verses 20 to 24. This is Jesus again, and he says, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And before I bring in Elder DiCarlo, as we discuss these Bible texts initially this evening, I'd like to read from a book called The Desire of Ages, um, one of the greatest commentaries on the life of Christ that exists. Mm, mm. And this is from page 630. It says here, Christ gave his disciples a sign of the ruin to come on Jerusalem, and he told them how to escape. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them which that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. This warning was to be given to be heeded forty years after at the destruction of Jerusalem. The Christians obeyed the warning, and not a Christian perished in the fall of the city. Yep. Pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, Christ said. He who made the Sabbath did not abolish it, listeners, nailing it to his cross. The Sabbath was not rendered null and void by his death. Forty years after his crucifixion, it was still to be held sacred. For 40 years, the disciples were to pray that their flight might not be on the Sabbath day. So before I carry on any further, Elder Ricardo, what would you like to share um, concerning these verses? Well, yeah, I do, because, you know, first of all, the uh, passages that you refer to uh, set up the, the incident that we're focusing on. I mean, we're yes. looking here at a prophecy. Yes. that Jesus gave that would come to pass, um, you know, 39 years later, uh, meaning from the time he gave it to the time it would be fulfilled. So we look at, you're, you're looking at something that's phenomenal when, when you realize um, here is Jesus talking about this very issue. And as you rightly pointed out in the scripture, when Jesus said, pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. That particular point, uh, that's, by the way, for our friends uh, listening there, that's in Matthew 24, verse 20. Yes. Um, when you look at that, uh, as you have already indicated, John, clearly that indicates 39 years after the death of Jesus Christ, he, he um, made it clear that the Sabbath day would still be intact. 
which then clearly proves that the death of Jesus Christ did not abrogate the law of God. It did not uh, eliminate the uh, or remove or change uh, or alter the fourth commandment, uh, which says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So, so clearly Jesus knew and uh, that his death uh, would be used by some to make void the law of God. Yeah. And 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 especially the fourth commandment, but therefore we now have the words of our blessed Lord telling us, thirty nine years after his death, he's prophesying and saying that the Sabbath will still be viable. Yeah. And so we praise the Lord for that. And you know, here we friends. And by the way, just our listening audience, listen, friends, you don't need a theologian to explain all this to you. You don't need. Uh, um, a pastor, or a church denomination, or uh, elders, or whoever you you know that that you might think has authority. Here we have the words of the Lord Jesus Himself, Amen. and uh, and so that, that's well stated, John. Now, when we look at this this whole uh, these series of passages, and and as you rightly did start in Matthew twenty four, and of course you can, uh, and we're going to look at some of these other verses again. One of the things you have to do when you're looking at something like this, because, you know, this is um, in some circles uh, within Christianity. It has a um, it is a contentious uh, interpretation. Um, I don't think it's 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 uh, difficult to understand. I think it's rather simple and and clear. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I want to let our listening audience know that. uh, I was uh, doing some research um, again over this subject, um, and just to see how many various books I could find um, in the past dealing with Matthew 24, uh, primarily the destruction of Jerusalem there in verse 15 and so forth. And uh, I came across a number of them, a number of them written in the 19th century, yes. uh, some of them in the early part of the 19th century. I think the earliest one I'm looking at right now, the list of the books is 1801, and then uh, one from 1812, another from 1820, uh, 1830, 1822, 25, a couple of them from 1825, um, and 1823, um, and, and 1850s, and so forth, and so on, and so on. So there are scores of books yes. written by Protestant authors just on the destruction of Jerusalem, showing the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 15. And that's why I, 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 the reason I'm bringing this up is because the Protestant tradition Matthew 24 has been historicist. It has not been a futurist interpretation, but a historicist interpretation. In other words, even though this is a a prophecy predicting, um, again, from Jesus's time, you have to look at it from a historical standpoint. You look at it from the, first of all, from from the time in which it was given. So we know it was given in AD 31, Jesus's last prophecy. uh, public uh, uh, or discussion with his disciples on this on this issue um, regarding the uh, the issues that he has uh, be, dealt with slightly before, maybe not as detailed, obviously. But nonetheless, here we have this this description. So we we're, so from Jesus's day, everything for, that he's talking about is future future tense. Yes. So he's looking into the future. 
predicting what's going to come to pass. Now, it's interesting, as we talked about some time ago, I think a week or so or two ago, we talked about the nature of the question that was asking, uh, asked by the disciples, said, tell us when shall these things be, what should be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world. It was to these questions that Jesus was given that he then took advantage of that and commingled two uh, events. The yeah. destruction of Jerusalem and the dis- and the end of the world, and he commingled these. He paralleled them and and then commingled them. He he left it up to the reader, um, based on the evidence given within the prophecies um, that are that that refer to these events to to understand what it is that Jesus is talking about. And in this particular case that we're dealing with right now, Matthew twenty four verses fifteen to twenty. When you're looking at the primary historical application, this is talking about, as you stated clearly already, A.D. 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. However, though, Jesus is going to use this as a means by which to foreshadow something that will take place just before the second coming of Jesus. In other words, he's going to take a historical event and use this historical event as a parallel to what will be just before he returns. Just as he did uh, as uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, and so forth. As it was in the days of Noah, he said, so shall it be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. He's also said, as it was in the days of Lot, and so forth. Now, yes. this clearly has precedence. In other words, it's not something strange or odd where Jesus would take a historical event and then use it as a basis by which he would then foreshadow a future event. In other words, using this historical event, event, he would parallel it with another event that would come to pass in the last days. Yes. And so here we find this. I just gave two examples of this uh, uh, as well as the destruction of Jerusalem with days of Noah, days of Lot. And so you carry over the characteristics. So it's very imperative that we understand then if we're looking at something that's foreshadowing something that will happen just before Jesus returns, that we understand the historical uh, event itself. In other words, what actually happened? What is it that he's trying to bring to our attention? So let's take a look at this. So we're looking now at verse 15. When this is these are the words of Jesus. When by the way, I'm reading from Matthew 24:15 and I want to again interject as John has already to our listening audience as you have already indicated John. Yeah. Let me re- uh, give some references. We're going to look at this in more detail in a moment. Matthew 24:15 to 20. Then you have Mark 13:14 to 18. Luke 19, 41 to 44, Luke 21, 20 to 24, Luke 23, 27 to 31, and then Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we'll look at that a little bit further on. Uh, But those are some of the verses that that we're going to deal with and we need to look at from a historical standpoint. But let's look here, Matthew 24, 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, right off the bat, when you look at this passage, yes. clearly Jesus is is trying desperately to get you to pay attention to very key uh, elements of information 
regarding the nature of what is to be, what is to happen, what, and, and why he's mentioning, for example, why would he mention Daniel the prophet? It's clearly the abomination of desolation, as he said, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. This incident, this yes. event that is going to happen in AD 70 was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now, he makes that very clear. And then he indicates very clearly the, the uh, one of the characteristics about the abomination of desolation. It says it stands in the holy place. Um, now, in 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 both Mark and Luke's account, it says stand where it ought not to be, and then it says uh, it it's, it encompasses the city round about. Yes. So he's giving you clues. Well, again, we'll look at that in a moment. So we're getting clues. Now, the only problem is, let me just. Uh, highlight something very important. When you're looking at the abomination of desolation that is spoken by Daniel the prophet, one of the problems you have when you're looking at this, there are three times that uh, characteristic, the phrase abomination of desolation is spoken of in the book of Daniel. Yes. The first one is found in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, primarily verses 26 and 27. Then you have Daniel 9, 31. And then you have Daniel 12, verse 11. So all three references refer to the abomination of desolation. However, however, uh, when you look at these three passages and, and decipher the meaning of, of what they're uh, stating, you have two separate events described in three locations. Mm. Matthew uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27, is describing one historical event. But Daniel 11, uh, 31 and Daniel 12, verse 11, is describing something different. Yes. Though they're related to each other, in other words, there's a correlation, and the correlation has to do with the abomination of desolation. Yes. And, uh, and I don't want to get too technical here with our listening audience. However, let me uh, put it in, in this way, so just to kind of help people understand. When you look at the little horn of Daniel chapter 8, the little horn of Daniel chapter 8 represents Rome in its two phases. Yes. First pagan, then papal. Even though it has one symbol, that one symbol embodies those two entities. And the reason it is used in one symbol is because papal Rome would inherit the throne or the seat, as scripture says, of the pagan Roman Empire. Yes. And so it would absorb and adopt and, 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 uh, and uh, take up upon itself the very uh, remnant of the Roman uh, Empire and, and, uh, and then uh, uh, take upon itself those, those paganistic philosophies in itself. So what you have here, even though you have the same phrase, the abomination of desolation spoken in Daniel, three different places, two different applications – it has a direct correlation just like the little horn of Daniel 8 because the abomination of desolation spoken of in the book of Daniel, both in Daniel 9 and Daniel 11 and 12, is talking about both pagan and papal Rome. Yes. First in its pagan form, 
in Daniel chapter 9, and then Daniel 11.31, and Daniel, or excuse me, Daniel, yes, 11.31 and Daniel 12.11, then in its papal form. And so what you're having here is a description of these two things uh, under the same symbol, meaning the abomination of desolation. Jesus is drawing your attention to one of them, not all three. So the question you got to ask yourself, what is he referring to? Is it pagan Rome under the Caesars or is it papal Rome under the popes? And what you now know based on the evidence when you start to examine and you look at all the characteristics given here, what you're going to see is you're going to see that historically speaking, again, this is what Jesus is primarily prophesying of, that is referring to the uh, pagan Rome under the Caesars, historically. However, though, when you look at the parallel uh, for the end time, when you look at the parallel at the end time, that abomination of desolation will refer to the the papacy at the end of time. And so you have to really study this out. Now, listen, I I don't want to scare our listening audience. I don't want them to think that you have to be, you know, a scholar or somehow, uh, you know, uh, a doctorate, get a doctorate in in, uh, Hebrew or anything else. It's just a matter of of carefully examining the scripture and analyzing the historical applications in order to really grasp the true meaning of what it is that Jesus is saying. So let's go in our in the book of Daniel, as Jesus said we should. Let's go into the book of Daniel. Let's begin to, to, to look at the historical application as he had indicated that yes. we should. Matthew, excuse me, uh, Daniel chapter 9. And, uh, and I, I'm making reference to verses 24 to 27 in the broader sense, though we're not going to look at everything there, obviously. But this, I just want to make reference to our listening audience. This is describing the 70 weeks that are cut off from the 2300 days that of the Daniel 8, uh, 14 prophecy given in the previous uh, vision. And because Daniel 9 is a continuation of Daniel 8, and the reason I say that is if you look at the end of Daniel 8, Daniel fainted before Gabriel could finish uh, revealing everything about the prophecy. Yes. So he comes back in Daniel 9, and he continues on with the interpretation of the prophecy. He picks up where he left off, Daniel 8, 14. So he says 70 weeks are taken out of, or 490 years are taken out from the 2300 days. And uh, and both of these time periods begin at the same time, meaning the 2300 days and Daniel 8 and the, and the 70 weeks, which is 457 BC, yes. Justinian's decree and so forth. Uh, or not Justinian's decree, I, I'm sorry. Um, um, the, the, uh, the decree uh, of um, Artaxerxes. And so you have, uh, you have this decree going forth. And that's why he said from in verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. So there you have that decree going yes. forth, as I mentioned. Now, here you have the, the prediction of the coming of the Messiah. And once again, just for our listening audience, I want you to know that our historical forefathers understood this referring to the 70 weeks and the 70th week itself, to the coming of the Holy Messiah, his, crucif- yes. his, his coming, his crucifixion, and 
and his his uh, uh, resurrection and so forth. So you have everything portrayed right here, clearly laid out. Verse 26 is the, is the real crux of it. He says, after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off sometime after. Uh, you find, he says, after the 62 weeks, you'll find how that um, <clears throat> you'll find that that Jesus or the Holy Christ will be cut off, meaning he'll be crucified. Mm. He said, but not for himself, obviously, because he didn't die for anything that he had done personally wrong. He died for our sins. And the people of the prince. Now, this is the shift. A, a major shift comes. Now, by the way, just for our listening audience. He's telling you sometime after this, the 62 weeks, Messiah would be cut off. But we know specifically the time when Jesus was crucified. That's A.D. 31. Now, that's a, a chronologist. You can look at that up. It's very clear. He was crucified in A.D. 31. Um, or, uh, yes, A.D. 31. And, and what you have here now is sometime after, after A.D. 31. Then he says, and the people of the prince that shall come so future tense meaning future after the coming of christ in other words after his death so sometime after the death of christ here comes a prince and notice what happens this prince this people and i'll show you who this person is out of the book of deuteronomy in a second that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood meaning overwhelming it'll be overwhelming And the end of the war, desolations are determined. So already we've got that key word, desolations, made reference to. Then he goes on in verse 27. He shall confirm a covenant. Now he backtracks and 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 uh, and he goes back and shows you in detail the time of uh, the baptism of Jesus, his crucifixion, and so forth. He says, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week from the time of his baptism and three and a half years later, his crucifixion. Then three and a half years later after that, of course, would be A.D. 34, the time of oh. stoning of Stephen. He says, in the midst of the week, he shall cause sacrifice and oblation to see, meaning that the the Levitical priesthood would come to an end because type would meet antitype in the yes. death of Christ. This is why Paul says in Corinthians, Christ has now become our Passover. We no longer need to be keeping the uh, certain laws within the ceremonial law of Moses, referring to the uh, feast days and so forth. These are all pointing forward to the coming of the work of the Messiah. But that work has now been accomplished regarding the nature of the mission of Jesus. And so he has caused all this to, to cease. This is why Paul talks about in Colossians. He it talks about um, Christ um, uh, has a. Uh, um, Abolish the handwriting of ordinances, yes. meaning the, the the very system of the ancient system. And so that's been done away with not the seventh day Sabbath, as we rightly have already read, but the ceremonial Sabbath that depicted the the cero, uh, the feast days and so forth. And he says, for the overspreading of abominations that are made, make it desolate. There's the abomination that makes it desolate. Oh, no. That's the thing he's talking about. And so he's once again reinforcing the concept of the destruction of Jerusalem. So who is this prince, though? Who's the prince that will come? In order to understand that, we've got to go back and, and, and look at a prophecy that Moses gave. Because Moses described the destruction of Jerusalem and the rejection 
of the Jews regarding the nature of the Holy Messiah. So if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy and you look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, now we're not going to look at this entire chapter. There's 68 verses, but I want to just kind of just give a little summation. Now this chapter can be divided into two sections. Verses 1 to 14 deal with the blessings of God. And verses 15 to 68 deal with the curses of God. And what this is really, chapter 28 is a summation of the entire covenant that God gives in the book of Deuteronomy. And the essence is simply this. He says in verses 1 to 14, he says, if you will follow me, if you will obey me, he says, I will bless you abundantly. He says, I'll make you the 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 pinnacle of success mm-hmm. as he goes on to actually say i'll make you the head and not the tail he said the world the kings and and the, and leaders of the world will come to you and and bow before you success will be yours i'll bless you he says now this is interesting because it's in the first 14 verses but verses 15 to 68 there's now a shift that takes place because this deals with the curses. So he says, if you obey me, this is what I will do for you. But then he says in verse 15 and onward, but if you disobey me, this is what I'm going to do to you. And uh, he spends most of the chapter telling him, telling them, the Jewish people at the time, and of course telling all of God's people, because this is still covenant, still binding. Yes. And he says, uh, if you disobey me, here's what I'm going to do to you. And I tell you now, if you read this chapter, uh, particularly when you start to focus on from verse 15 onward, there is, it goes from bad to worse. It just, it goes that bad. It's really horrific. Now, let me go and show you what he says, eventually what will happen. He says, there will come a point. He says, strangers will come and occupy your land. And what he means is that he says, the land that I gave to you, the land that I blessed you with, he says, if you continue to disobey me, he said, I will allow your enemies, strangers come and inhabit the land that I gave to you. And one of the clear indications that a nation is fallen, by the way, you want to understand how a nation falls. In other words, what brings a nation to its utter ruin? Read Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 68, and you will see a progression, steps, as what brings a nation down. So when you see an influx of, of, of foreigners invading your land, That is an indication you have rejected God. And now God is saying, the land that I gave to your forefathers, I'm now going to give it to someone else. Strangers will inhabit your land, he says. But these strangers, he goes on to tell you now, watch what he says. This is, and I'm going to pick up now because we have so many things to, to, to look at. But let's just look here in verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart. For the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and nakedness and in want of things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he has destroyed thee. Mm. 
So what happens is these strangers that are going to come, that God's going to send, he's going to make them your masters. And he's going to put a yoke around your neck and you're going to suffer. So here's, I want you to notice what type of yoke he says it's going to be a yoke of iron. Now, why is that important? People, now he could have said a yoke of steel, a yoke of, a yoke of wood, a yoke of stone, whatever. He could have chose whatever he wished. But in this particular case, it's not an accident that Moses in prophetic vision is talking about a yoke of iron that's going to come and inhabit the land of Israel, particularly Jerusalem. Because if you look at Daniel chapter two, Yes, Daniel 2. You see the image, the fourth part of that image is the legs of iron. Yes. And the legs of iron represents pagan Rome, the iron monarchy of Rome, as as Cardinal Gibbon or um, Edward Gibbons, the great historian, wrote in The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And so Edward Gibbons, as well as many other historians, but they confirmed that the iron yoke, this iron, a kingdom of iron will yes. come. And he says, and the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar and from the end of the earth, from a nation they never heard of, a, na- a nation that, that is to them is like the other side of the world, yes. a, not, not a neighboring country. Not a neighboring country, a nation that comes from far will come, a nation of iron. And he goes on to watch how he describes it, as swift as an eagle flieth. Now, that's very interesting. Why? Because the one of the leading emblems of the Roman Empire was an eagle. Yes, most certainly. And uh, this is so graphic of detail that anyone who knows their history would pick all this up. He goes on to say, a nation whose tongue thou hast not understood. Again, not a neighboring country. A nation you never heard of that comes from far, and when he occupies the land, it'll be like a rod of iron. He goes on to say, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard person of old, or show favor to the young. In other words, he's ruthless, bloodthirsty. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of the land and, and until thou shalt be destroyed. And so again, he will devour the, the remaining wealth that you have left. Yes. Which shall also not leave neither corn, wine, oil, increase of thy kind and flocks, the sheep, until he had destroyed thee. Nothing will be left. And he shall besiege thee. Now, notice the language. Now, please listen very carefully to the language that Moses describes regarding this nation of iron that will come from afar to be, to, to seize hold of God's people, the city yes. of Jerusalem. Notice what he says. He shall besiege thee in all thy gates. Now, but to besiege something, that's when you that's a siege that you surrounding the entire city. Yes. He just told you that a a nation of iron is coming, a nation whose emblem is like an eagle, and it's going to surround the city of Jerusalem, and and he's going to to lay siege to it. And he says, until thy high-fenced walls come down. What did Jesus say? Not one stone shall be left upon another. Wherefore, in thou trustest. In other words, notice, wherefore, in, in thou trustest. The Jews trusted in the walls, thinking that the walls would save them. But Psalm 121 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. 
from whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord. Uh -huh. They forgot the lessons of long ago. Our help is not in the things of this world. Our help is not in man-made structure. Our help is not in any institution. Our help comes only from God Almighty. Amen. And so he says that thou trusted throughout all thy land. And he says, and he shall besiege thee and all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God has given to thee. And thou shalt eat. Now listen very carefully to the language. And thou shalt eat of the fruit of thine own body. Do you understand what he just said? You shall eat the fruit of thy own body. Yes. I hate to be so graphic, but I'm sorry, but this is very that graphic. What happens when you besiege a city? What eventually takes place? If you cut off a city from, from, uh, from, from water and from food, inevitably there is a famine. Yes. And you're going to see horrific, horrific things take place. And notice what Jesus, or excuse me, what Moses said is going to happen. He says, and thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body. There will come a point where people become so hungry, they'll eat the children they just gave birth to. He says, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God had given thee. So not just babies, but little children as well. Yes. And the siege and the witness and, and in the straightness wherein thine enemies shall besiege thee. And he goes on to say, and so that a man that is tender among you, very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother. Meaning even good people, even people who before this were morally and decent and, and, and really nice people, good yes. people. Even a good person, dear friends, under horrific circumstances will become evil. Even good people. Yes. See, listen, let me share something to our listening audience. It is not enough to be a good person. That's right. It's not enough to be a nice person. You have to be what John declared to, or Jesus, excuse me, declared to, to, to Nicodemus in John 3. You have to be born again. Amen. You need to be righteous. There's going to be a lot of nice decent, good people who will never enter heaven. And the reason being is because they never, never surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ's sovereignty. Yes. Oh, friends, either Jesus is Lord of your life or he's not. Either Christ is the Holy One or he's not. And friends, either Jesus sits on the throne of your in your heart or he doesn't. Amen. Either you're born again or you're not. And so and so even good people, he says, you will see it, the man who's tender among you, a good, very delicate, even sensitive, a good, decent person. And his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward his wife and uh, of, of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. And he will abandon them all in order to survive. He'll become that wicked oh and it goes on so that he will not give to his to, to any of them the flesh of his children whom he shall eat i mean this is this is a, he's talking about good people now yes. they will eat their own children because he hath nothing left in him in, in the siege 
in the straightness wherewith thee, thine enemies shall distress thee in thy gates. And so forth and so on and so on. And he keeps going. And it's more graphic than it was before. Yes. It is horrendous. Moses, in prophetic vision, is prophesying of the destruction of Jerusalem, of the Roman Empire coming. And the people of the prince that Daniel is talking about is referred to the very prince spoken of here in, in Deuteronomy, meaning the people that, that would come like an eagle uh, with an with a, uh, a iron yoke. Yes. And who was it that came and besieged the city? So now we need a little history. Now we need a little bit of history. Okay, so we've got to go back into history. Why is this important? Well, we are historicists by nature, meaning the when we look at the understanding of prophecy, we are historicists. We're not preterists. We're not futurists, because both of those uh, views of historical or excuse me, of, of uh, prophetic interpretation are wrong. They are perverted. And uh, we accept the biblical Protestant interpretation of prophecy, which is of the historical school. Yes. So you need to do a little bit of research into the history of what happened in the destruction of Jerusalem. And as I said to our listening audience before, there are many books you can go to. And of course, the most popular book, I'm going to be straight up and fair, the most popular book that if you really want to understand the details from a historian now, I'm speaking strictly from a historian, um, um, of the destruction of Jerusalem, the most popular is uh, the book called The Jewish War of uh, Flavius Josephus. And you will find um, uh, a detailed account of the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's very graphic about what happened. Yes. Now, we're not going to spend any time uh, uh, you know, reading passages out of there. However, I am going to summarize some very critical things. First of all, let's now go back into the Bible and let's look at some of the characteristics as spoken of through the through Jesus Christ himself regarding the destruction of Jerusalem. So let's pick up some of these key identifying marks. So Matthew 24, 15, he talks about when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. So this is very interesting. He pronounces a blessing. There is an understanding. You can comprehend these things. Yes. One of the things you have to look at is this abomination of desolation is going to stand in a place where it shouldn't. He says, stand in the holy place. If you go over now to Mark 13, let's go to Mark's account. And we're going to pick up the same story, except Mark records it slightly different. Listen to what he says in Mark 13. In Mark 13, verse 14. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. In other words, when he says standing in the holy place in, the, in, in, Mark, in Matthew's account, in Mark's account, he says this place, that it, this holy place, it, 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 this abomination of desolation shouldn't be there. Yes. Why? Because what you need to do and understand, and I want to again uh, help our listening audience, is if you will go onto Google Maps and look up uh, ancient Jerusalem with the land of Moriah and look up the ancient Jer maps of Jerusalem, you will see some very interesting maps. And why is this important? Because Jesus is helping you to understand geography, the topography 
of Jerusalem. And so you have it here, and I'm looking at a map right now from ancient Jerusalem. This map, I think, dates back from 1823. Yes. It's an 1823 rendition of ancient Jerusalem, with the land of Moriah, dealing with the city of Jerusalem at the time of Christ. And you have to understand that Jerusalem was built uh, on, on and around a series of mountains. Yes. Uh, there's the Mount uh, Mountain of Olives. There's the Mount Moriah. There's Mount Zion. There's Mount Gion, um, and so forth. And so there's various little hills and mountains that surround the city itself. And itself, as I say, it's built on, like I say, this uh, Mount Zion. The city itself is built on a uh, on a little mount. Yes. So when you look at the temple location, you can see where everything is at in relation to the, the, the discussion Jesus is making. So the thing that's interesting, the 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 city is sit sitting on these various little mounts, but the temple itself sits on a mount called Mount Moriah. Now, this land is very sacred and holy to the Jews because it was on this land where the temple anciently sat is where Abraham offered up Isaac. This is the ancient site where Solomon first began to build the temple. And so it's very holy. Now, the land around the city, the land around the city is called the land of Moriah. And so the, the land that surrounds the city itself is considered by the Jews holy and sacred. And so where he says, it says in, in Mark's account, standing where it ought not, somewhere outside the city walls, something is going to happen. It's called a holy place because that's what the Jews considered that land, a holy place. So now that we're getting some more information, let's continue on. Let's go to Luke 19. Let's go over to Luke chapter 19. Let's look a little further now as we continue on in our study. Luke 19. Listen to what Jesus says here. Luke 19, verse 41. Luke 19. Look with me here in verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, meaning the city of Jerusalem, and he wept over it. Now listen to what Jesus says. If thou hast known, even thou, at least this thy, uh, and this thy day, the things which belong unto thee, in other words, unto thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. He says, for the days shall come. Now he's prophesying of the destruction of Jerusalem. Yes. And listen very carefully to the description. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies, and these enemies are the people of the prince spoken of in Daniel 9, It's the same people in Deuteronomy 28, the Roman Empire under the Caesars. And thine enemies shall come, now listen to what it says, shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee on every side. That's a siege. Yes, amen. Now, what's interesting, what's fascinating, it goes on to say he shall build a trench, he shall dig a trench. And if you look at the map of Jerusalem, uh, around this, let me tell you, that's that's a one whale of a trench to dig. Now, when you look at this, you got to understand what he's talking about. People need to realize that this event that Jesus is describing is in terms of the trench that's going to be built and everything that's going to happen, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, 
uh, when you look at these things, he's describing primarily at this point a particular event that would take place four years before the destruction of Jerusalem yes. in A.D. 66 under the leader Cestus, a Roman general Cestus. And he would come and he would lay siege to the city. He would surround it. He would dig it. You know, he would he would do everything he can. And so and what happened, though, what people don't understand is he surrounded the city and he planted his Roman banners on the land of Moriah. Yes. That was the sign to the Christians, to the God's people. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not to be on the holy ground, land, the land of Moriah that surrounds the city, when you see that, that's the sign to indicate to you, you better flee. Yes. Now, how could they flee, though, if Cestus has surrounded the city? So what happens is very, and you again, read history books, it's all clear. Yes. For whatever reason, Cestus, uh, when he planted his Roman banners, and by the way, let me just indicate something to our listening audience. The Roman banners, why they were considered abomination to the Jew, to the Jews. Why they were considered an abomination is because on the Roman banners were various figures and images of the ancient gods of Rome. Yes. And these were worshipped by the Romans. And any image that was worshipped was considered by the Jewish people an abomination. And and they planted those banners of the pagan gods of the Roman Empire around the city of Jerusalem on the holy land of Moriah. And that was the sign. So you had images, an image that was worshipped by Rome. Notice, I'm, I'm a late listening audience. Please pay attention to the words I'm using. An image was made by the Roman Empire that was used to worship planted where it ought not to be on the land that was considered holy by the Jews, a holy place. It, in other words, it was trying to supplant the, the, the place, uh, desecrating it. That's the whole point of it, desecrating the holy land. Mm -hmm. That was the sign for the Jews to flee, for God's people to flee. And, uh, and this happened in 66 AD, Cestus. What happened? He surrounded the city. He planted his banners around there. He, he desecrated the land. And in so doing, he gave the sign that God had indicated through Jesus. And so what happened? Mysteriously, he just disappears. He yes. just picks up and he moves his men. There's no reason, rhyme or reason, why he would flee. He just packed up and left. Now, the Rome, uh, the Jews inside the city, who the zealots, these were the radical right-wingers, as we would call them today. They went after the, after the Roman uh, army and they slaughtered. Uh, many of Cestus' men. Now, from 66 to, uh, to 70 AD, there's a four-year window opportunity. Yes. God gave his people plenty of time to flee the city. And he told them, when you see that sign, get out, flee. And that's exactly what happened. Now, four years later, now who comes? You have Titus. Titus comes. Yes. And Titus and his men are going to seek revenge for what happened to Cestus four years before. 
Now the Jews are even more emboldened than they were before because they're thinking under a false sense of security, they can beat the Roman Empire. They can beat the Roman Irish because they thought they scared Cestus to flee. And he didn't flee because of them. Uh, friends, the reason Cestus fled and Cestus didn't even understand why he packed up and left is because the hand of God prophesied this is the way it would be. Amen. God ordains all things to be so in this regard. And so the hand of God in history, and God gave a window of opportunity. He moved upon the heart of Cestus to move and flee, giving his people an opportunity to flee the city. And so here comes now Titus. Titus surrounds the city. And what does he do? Some of the Jews are fleeing out of the city, trying to fight their way out of the city. And so what does he do? He stops this immediately. Yes. He orders that a trench be built around the entire city. Why do you build a trench? Because there's no way you can possibly escape now. Yes. And so now it's only a matter of time. And shortly thereafter, what happens, dear friends, is they run out of food. They run out of water. And good people, and you read Flavius Josephus, read yes. other Jewish historians and other books written on the destruction of Jerusalem and the very things that Moses prophesied. And Jesus himself said it would come to pass. He said, woe be to you those who give suck in those days. Yes. He wasn't kidding because they began to eat their own babies. Good people, decent people became animals. And they began to do the most horrific crimes. And the Roman soldiers were so furious and indignant towards the reaction of the Jews, rebellious Jews towards them, that when Titus told them, do not destroy the temple, whatever you do, do not harm the temple. Yes. They became so enraged, they went into, and, and again, some historians say they can't describe or can't even explain the fury of the Roman soldiers because they some they almost became demon like, and they tore everything apart. They killed. Uh, they again. This all depends on the historian you go by, but some say a million, some say a million and a half Jews perished. Many of them, by the hundreds of thousands, were crucified outside the city walls. They say in some places. That you could barely walk through the crosses. They were that closely uh, put together. Yes. Um, it was so bad um, that uh, as Jesus prophesied, not one stone should be left upon another. Now, how do we direct this towards the end? How does this parallel work for us in these last days? When we see the image of the beast set up in the place of the Holy Sabbath, where it ought not to be. In other words, trampling it under dust. When we see pagan Rome, the inheritor of papal, or, or, or excuse me, pa papal Rome, the inheritor of pagan Rome, yes. set up its pagan worship of the image, Sunday worship, in the place of the seventh day Sabbath. That is a sign that God has given to us that it's time to flee the cities, get out, and head towards the, the most remote places of the country into the mountains yes. and find refuge. Now, God's, according to scripture, God's going to give us an opportunity to do that. You understand? You're yes. not going to be caught and trapped unless you do not take heed to the signs. Yes. And so Jesus is telling us that in the last days, 
just as it was in 70 AD, in 66 and 70 AD, just as it was then. So you can see a parallel. You're going to see Sunday laws come. You're going to see eventually where Sunday takes the place of the Sabbath, where it ought not to be, desecrating the seventh-day Sabbath. And he says, at that time, you better get out. You better flee. Yes. And so that's the sign. Yes. Well, Elder Ricardo, you've given our listeners a comprehensive, clear Bible study showing them from Scripture exactly what Jesus meant, where he had got those incidents from in Scripture, as he said, from Daniel, and as you shared in Deuteronomy. Basically, he was teaching them that the history had taught what he had taught, and that this was nothing new. And listeners, it's down to us, and it's down to you to study these matters for it's for yourselves, basically. And um, I'd just like to say one more thing before we have a break. Uh, I actually share one more thing. Um, This is from The Great Controversy, page 25. This is just um, food for thought as we go for this break. It says here, Jesus declared to the listening disciples the judgments that were to fall upon apostate Israel, and especially the retributive vengeance that would come upon them for their rejection and crucifixion of the Messiah. Yep. And when the idolatrous standards of the Romans should be set up in the holy ground, which extended some furlongs outside the city walls, as Elder Ricardo said, when the followers of Christ were to find safety in flight, when the warning sign should be seen, those who would escape must make no delay. So with these thoughts in mind, let's have a break for some music and we'll come back with some closing thoughts. Timeless thing, earth and heaven will pass away. It's not a dream, God will make all things new that day. Gone is the curse from which I stumbled and fell. Evil is banished. To eternal hell No more night No more pain No more tears Never crying again Praises to the great I Praises to Christ our King Slowly 
of the times listeners over the past four radio programs both Elder DiCarlo and myself have been sharing from you from God's word helping you to see that the lessons that Jesus has given us pointing us to the signs of the times today the events that are happening in this world are not just events that we're to look at as spectators I just things for us to, to see and wonder and to talk about, but that these events have a bearing upon our own personal relationship with him. These events are, have happened because, quite simply, evil has been allowed to prosper in this world, and God's people, who should be vessels of God, they have failed to submit their hearts to him so that they can be vessels of God, vessels of mercy, and help to stem the tide of evil that's in this world. And I'd like to share a couple of thoughts before we have a closing statement by Elder DiCardo. This is from Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing. I'm going to be reading from page 149. And this is explaining about how God wants us to act in relation to the incidents that he's spoken to us in his word. Now it says here, we build on Christ by obeying his word. 
It is not he who merely enjoys righteousness that is righteous, but he who does righteousness. Holiness is not rapture. It is the result of surrendering all to God. So I'll read that again. Holiness is not rapture. It is the result of surrendering all to God. It is doing the will of our Heavenly Father. When the children of Israel were encamped on the borders of the Promised Land, it was not enough for them to have a knowledge of Canaan or to sing the songs of Canaan. This alone would not bring them into possession of the vineyards and olive groves of the goodly land. They could make it theirs in truth only by occupation, by complying with the conditions, by exercising living faith in God, by appropriating its promises to themselves while they obeyed his instruction. And religion Listeners consists in doing the words of Christ, not doing to earn God's favor, but because all undeserving we have received the gift of his love. Christ places the salvation of man not upon profession merely, but upon faith that is made manifest in works of righteousness. You see, doing, not saying merely, is expected of the followers of Christ. It is through action that character is built. For the Bible reads in Romans chapter 8 verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Not those whose hearts are touched by the Spirit, not those who now and then yield to its power, but they that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, in the Jerusalem of old, most of the people of God didn't understand this. And they had, rather than submitting to the word of God and submitting to Christ, submitting to the very Messiah who was prophesied to come to the nation and he was there in person. Sadly, most of the people rejected him. And in Jerusalem, Jesus had beheld a symbol of the world that had rejected and despised his grace. And this is why the destruction of Jerusalem, understanding why it happened and what happened is applicable to us today because the destruction of Jerusalem is symbolic of all of those who reject Christ as individuals because if we accept Christ, we're saved, we receive the salvation, eternal salvation through him. But if we reject him, then we will be destroyed and destroyed by our enemies and the biggest enemy that we have is ourself. And so reading again from what's here from this book, Thoughts of the Mount of Blessing, listen to these words, inspired words. In Jerusalem, Jesus beheld the symbol of the world that had rejected and despised his grace. He was weeping on stubborn heart for you. Even when Jesus' tears were shed upon the mount, Jerusalem might yet have repented and escaped her doom. For a little space, the gift of heaven still awaited her acceptance. So, O heart, to you Christ is speaking in accents of love. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, listeners, is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And you who are resting your hope on self are building on the sand. But it is not yet too late to escape the impending ruin, listeners. Before the tempest breaks, flee to the sure foundation. 
Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen ye, I will help ye, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. That's Isaiah 28, verse 16, 45, 22, 41, 10, 45, 17. So listeners, just before I bring in Elder Ricardo, let us remember that as Jerusalem was given space to repent in order to escape her doom, so is the world being given space to repent and to accept and cherish Christ's grace. This message of the destruction of Jerusalem applies to us as individuals. God has given each of us a chance to find a refuge in Christ before his storm of wrath breaks upon us and all who are impenitent in this world. Whilst Jesus ministers in the heavenly sanctuary as a high priest and the mediator between God and man, he has given us a chance to repent and to be cleansed from all sin and defilement. He's given us a chance to be pure in him so that we can be fit citizens for his kingdom of glory. And just as Elder De Carlo said, just because a person is nice, just because they, they, they do good, that doesn't mean that they're righteous. That doesn't mean that they're in a saving relationship with God. See, you know, right? You, you can't by your own works enter into the kingdom of heaven. You need to have the, the, the garment of Christ's righteousness. You need to have his spirit. You need to be doing good through his power and his grace. That's Amen. the only way that you can be seen fit to be saved. And as, again, Elder DiCarlo has said, had brought out, you see, someone that's relying upon their own goodness, eventually, when times get tough, they turn from an angel to a fiend because there's no power within them to maintain good works. Mm. See, mm. there's so many lessons there. So, mm. you see, finally, I just say this. God promises to cleanse us from all iniquity and sin if we will but submit to his word and submit to the way that he has set out for us by his example in the plan of redemption. So, Elder Ricardo, I'll now just hand over to you for some closing thoughts as we round off this evening. Well, I just want to say that, you know, when you take into consideration uh, the comments that you've been making in the light of what we've been discussing, I think it really does come down to that issue of how we relate to this as a, on a personal level. Um, you know, all these things that are spoken of by Jesus to us, and really, frankly, the prophets themselves, as well as the apostles, unless there's a personal application, all the theory means nothing. And uh, and so when we look at this uh, prophecy that we've been discussing today, Jesus makes the same appeal. And um, and may I pray that each one of us takes it uh, into a personal um, reflection where we contemplate these things. You know, Jesus gave them ample opportunity to um, 
make the necessary preparations to flee. And if they did not avail themselves of that opportunity, um, their uh, their 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 end result was was really uh, no one's fault but their own. And I appeal to everybody. I really do. Please, uh, uh, you know, surrender your heart before it's too late. Don't don't hesitate and don't be like the the Jewish people of old who hardened their hearts in rebelliousness, thinking that uh, they uh, were sufficient to deal with the problems that that confronted them. Um, this world is is losing um, its 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 bearings, and I fear that shortly there we we're going to see things that were almost unimaginable. And so I really do want to appeal to each and every one. And I hope and pray to God that we do come to a clearer understanding. Um, so I just uh, I just want to leave it on that. And uh, I think that uh, the only thing that I can say is that uh, we should close with prayer. <laughs> yes. Lord Nicardo, let's have a word of prayer to close this evening. Yes. Our Father in heaven, we once again thank you. We have this opportunity to contemplate the seriousness of your word. I know that there are many things in which we could continue to discuss, but I hope in some way we've challenged the people to see that there are many mighty, beautiful, powerful things that are revealed in the word of God and so many yet more to be discovered. I only pray that you help us, dear Lord, to have the hearts and the minds to follow. Help us to seriously take into consideration the personal application of these things, dear God, that we may not be found wanting. Now, through Christ our Lord, I pray you'll forgive us of our sins and come and take our hearts. As you've promised in your holy Bible, dear God, I pray you'll heal us of all our sicknesses and all our diseases. Bless us now, we pray. Thank you so much for everything. And help us, dear God, I pray to be faithful and true in little things as well as great. We thank you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Elder DeConnell, thank you once again for joining us live on the Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Listeners, if you have any questions or if you would like more information, please send an email to inquiries at wildernesspublications.org or you can send a text message to 07944-062-786. If you have the Android app for Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio, go to the ebook section, then find the title Bible Readings for the Home. At chapter 59, you will find the subject, The Signs of the Times. This chapter will give you more information about today's topic. You can also listen to and download our radio show podcasts at https colon forward slash forward slash voice dash in dash the-wilderness.podcastpage.io forward slash If you would like to support Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, then please send your donation through our website at vitwradio.org. Click on the page called About Us. You can donate to us here. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us tonight. That's it for this evening's Good night and God bless. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible, 
That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful biblically based messages live down the This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week.